May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. There are two places in the Gospel which say Jesus wept. And one is here in our Palm Sunday text. The other, you remember, is in John 11 when he wept at the tomb of Lazarus. Um, you remember that his friend Lazarus had died and then Jesus comes um, to see them and uh, sees the, the grief of Lazarus' sister Mary and then it says that he saw the weeping of Mary's friends and Lazarus' friends and he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And then John eleven thirty five, just two words, Jesus wept. Even though he knew that he would raise Lazarus from the dead, Jesus's heart was moved to compassion because of the suffering that he saw around him. The other place in the Gospels where it says Jesus wept is, again, in our passage from Luke 19. And it's interesting because Palm Sunday has this joyous feel. Uh, there is a festive element to this procession into Jerusalem. Jesus makes his way into the city and the disciples are proclaiming the wonderful works of God that they had seen him do. They're waving their palm branches as we did today, which were symbols of victory. They welcomed him into the city as their king, as their Messiah. Quoting from Psalm 118, which Luke has is, Blessed is the king, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And this time Jesus doesn't hold back. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus is reticent to accept the title of Messiah because his time had not yet come. And he sort of hides that. But here Jesus is very clearly announcing himself to be the Messiah, to be the king of Israel. When he takes a donkey and rides into the city, that's a fulfillment of a messianic prophecy. This is very deliberate. Jesus is being very intentional here. Zechariah 9.9 is where that prophecy is found. Listen to these words. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. Righteous and victorious. Lowly and riding on a donkey. So Jesus is being very deliberate in saying, your king has come. So the praises and the joy of the crowd, that, that, that's right, it is appropriate to celebrate the coming of the king. And Jesus says to the Pharisees who are there to throw a wet blanket on the, on the uh, celebration, he says, if they do not praise me, even these rocks will cry out. Because creation is meant to praise its creator. Creation is meant to praise Christ the King. So the mood up to this point is jubilant and joyful. The King has come. But then as Jesus draws near, verse 41, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. So there's this juxtaposition of emotions here. The king celebrated and now the king weeping. Some people I've read and people have told me that 
the Mount of Olives, as you go into Jerusalem, there's a bend in that road. Uh, and uh, where you get to this bend on the Mount of Olives, and you can see the city of Jerusalem before you. Maybe some of you have been there and have seen that. And that's most likely where Jesus stopped and thought about what was happening. And he saw the, the glory of the, the temple, the great temple, the temple mount, the walls, the majestic white walls of the temple. Maybe the sun was beating down and they were shining and gleaming. And he saw that, but he knew what was to come because people were going to turn from him. And so he wept. This weeping is different from the weeping that happened at the tomb of Lazarus. According to the the Greek words, there are different words. At the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus is weeping quietly. That's the connotation of the Greek word there is quiet tears, maybe even silent weeping. Not a lot of vocalization. But this weeping here, as Jesus enters into the city, describes sobbing crying out loud, wailing, wailing. What accounts for the difference? Well, one theologian, B.B. Warfield, wrote an essay on the emotions of Jesus. He talks about the difference between the crying at the tomb of Lazarus and the crying as Jesus enters into the city. And he says this, at the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus' tears are drawn out at the sight of suffering. But as he comes into Jerusalem, obstinate unbelief convulsed him with uncontrollable grief. Obstinate unbelief. This is breaking the heart of Jesus when he sees this happening. When he witnesses people turning from him to their own destruction, that stubborn unbelief broke his heart. As I reflected on this story, I'd a couple of questions emerged uh, for me that I want to share with you today. One is a very simple question, but difficult question. Do we have something of the Lord's compassion towards those who turn from him? Do I have something of the Lord's compassion towards those who turn from him? In the tears of Jesus, we are seeing the grief of God. Towards those who resist him. The truth of the Messiah was there for anyone to see who had eyes to see it. The disciples were rejoicing and praising God, it says, with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had what? They had seen. They had seen him open blind eyes. They had witnessed him touch a man who was afflicted with leprosy and with his touch and his word, be clean. The man was made whole. They even knew that Jesus raised people from the dead. And just before this entry into Jerusalem, John tells us that he had raised Lazarus from the dead. And so people had heard about these works. Some of them had seen these mighty works. Signs, evidence, proof pointing that God's power was flowing through Jesus in a unique way. And yet some of them, many of them, especially the religious leaders, resisted him. And rejected him outright. And explained these miracles away. And they sought to put Jesus to death. And they sought to put Lazarus to death too. They wanted to get rid of the evidence. So many had seen. But they still would not believe. Would not receive. Why? Because their hearts were hardened. 
Jesus threatened their understanding of God, their understanding of the mission of Israel, threatened their position. They had become blind and God gave them over to this spiritual blindness. And so Jesus, he prophesies their destruction as a consequence of them turning away from him. And as he does this, of course, there is no hint of gleeful kind of vengeance. As if, you know, they're going to finally get what they deserve. None of that is in the heart of Jesus. His heart is broken because of their hard hearts. So we see here our God and how he responds and thinks about people who turn from him. And the question is, what about us? Ezekiel 33, 11 says this, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But that the wicked would turn from his way and live. You know, we all are aware that we are living in an increasingly post-Christian culture. Many people turning from Christ and turning from the word of God. Morality is shifting and changing before our eyes. Those of us who are more conservative, traditional, orthodox Christians are worried about what's happening to our culture and those who are behind it. Human life is devalued in many circles. The beginning of life, the end of life. Sexual standards have been deconstructed. Public leaders, whether they're in government or business, and yes, even in the church, are regularly exposed for hypocrisy and corruption. We see all this, we hear about it. We might be tempted to think, well, someday, judgment is going to come. They're going to get what they deserve. And then, if we have that kind of thinking, we see Jesus, who is weeping because of the judgment that is going to come on those who turn from him. And so, this is a challenge to us, a challenge to me, the tender heart of Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that he wasn't bold and that he did not experience righteous indignation. I mean, just after this, he comes into the temple. The temple, the meeting place of God where people came and people were coming at this time for the Passover festival from all over the world, the known world then, to Worship God in the temple. And Jesus sees the corruption that's happening in the temple, the commercialization that's in the temple. And what does he do? He takes a whip and he drives out the money changers. There's boldness. Jesus is taking a strong stand for righteousness and truth. But underneath that is this tender, compassionate heart. So we see in Jesus this this majesty and this meekness. He's holding together things here that are difficult for us to hold together. Standing firm on the truth and the righteousness of God. Talking about the consequences of what happens when people turn. But yet, tender compassion and brokenheartedness for people who suffer those consequences. I think in reaching people for Christ today, we have to have that combination. It's very difficult. Speak for, speak for righteousness and truth and be bold. But underneath that, have a tender heart for people, a compassionate heart for people. As we enter into this holy week, let's ask our Lord to give us more of his heart, to change our heart, to be more like his. Another question that came to mind 
Not only this question, do I have the, the heart of the king, but, but the question that Luke really wants every reader of this passage to wrestle with is, do you have the peace of the king? Have you received the peace that Jesus offers and do you celebrate that today? Jesus says, if only you had known the things that make for peace, but they're now hidden from your eyes. Time is up. Time is up. You, you've been visited by God, but you did not know the time of your visitation. But if only you had known the thing that makes for peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes, Jesus says. So this is a great tragedy. Jerusalem was to be the city of peace. That's what Jerusalem means. Jerusalem. The city of peace. But they missed it. It's understandable that the people of Israel were looking for national peace. That's what they wanted. Because they had been oppressed for so long by other nations. I mean, think about it. Um, dominated by Assyria and Babylon. Um, and then Persia and then Greece. And, and now Rome, they're being Dominated by Rome. And so they're looking for God to send his Messiah to free them from oppression. And here is Jesus, the great miracle worker who can even raise the dead. And surely he's going to use his power to vanquish the armies of Rome, to defeat Pilate and to give victory to Israel. So Israel will be on top and everyone will know it. And finally, Israel will be at peace. It's understandable that they that's what they were looking for. We would have wanted the same things, I'm sure, if we were in their position. But Jesus came into Jerusalem to bring a different kind of peace. We know peace not through the sword, but through the cross. And his way of establishing this peace was not to dominate over people, but to, as we read from Philippians, become a servant in obedience to his father and for the sake of the world. He is the Passover lamb during this Passover time. He is the Passover lamb, the final sacrifice who comes to take away the sin of the world. Behold the lamb of God as he comes into Jerusalem to take away the sin of the world, not just for Israel, the sin of the world. We read uh, from Isaiah 53, one of the suffering servant passages and, um, of course, there are several passages in Isaiah that prophesy about the coming suffering servant of God. And this is an important passage. These are important passages for us as we um, go through Holy Week. They appear in our liturgy. But one of the suffering servant passages of Isaiah is Isaiah 49, which says this. About the suffering servant, God says, I will make you as a light for the nations. That my salvation will reach to the ends of the earth. Not just for Israel, but for all nations. That is what God is doing here. But Jesus weeps because he knows that people are going to turn. People have turned away from that. And maybe some of the same people. This is something that people speculate on, but we don't know for sure. Maybe some of the same people who were hailing him as their champion, as their Messiah in this crowd were the same ones who shouted, crucify him later in the week because they would reject God's way of peace. It's not what they were looking for, what Jesus was doing. And so Jesus predicts this horrible destruction on Jerusalem 
which happened in A.D. 70, just 40 years or so after this. What Jesus said was going to happen, happened. And it was a terrible thing. Thousands, hundreds of thousands, perhaps, of people died in Jerusalem. The city was reduced to rubble. Josephus, a first century historian, said that if, if somebody knew the city of Jerusalem before the destruction, and then they visited the site after the destruction, they would not recognize, they would not believe that this was the same city. It was reduced to just bloody rubble. It's a terrible tragedy that Jesus predicts here because they had turned from God's way of peace. You know, these uh, words that Jesus says about Jerusalem can be difficult for us to hear. And they do press up against a strand in our culture that wants to relativize spirituality and religion and say, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as it works for you. And um, that's understandable because we live in a diverse and pluralistic culture and we want to respect other people. It's right to respect other people. But throughout the New Testament, God makes it clear that what he offers in Jesus Christ is a serious matter of life and death. And so that's what we're seeing the outcome of here. People who turn from God experiencing this destruction. It breaks the heart of God. But God holds people accountable to how they respond to Jesus. Think about this. What kind of God would he be if he did not hold us responsible for how we responded to him? What kind of God would he be if he did not hold people accountable? I'm sure we've all had experiences of people in authority, maybe coaches or teachers or bosses, who did not hold people accountable, did not hold them to a standard. And as a result, their authority was weakened and people did not respect their words. People didn't take them seriously. If that's true in human relationships, that there's a link between accountability and respect, how much more is it true in the case of God? It is a serious matter to turn away from what God offers. And that's what we see happening. That's what Jesus is predicting. And what he offers is first and foremost, peace with God through the cross. On the cross, he was, as we read, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. So as we turn to Christ in faith, we have this peace with God, this objective peace. We are no longer under the judgment of God. We are right with God. We are under the mercy of God because of the cross of Christ. Are we thankful for that peace that Jesus won for us at the cross? And then as we grow in our relationship with Christ, we can experience the subjective peace, the sense of God is with me. God loves me. God is caring for me. This inward peace that the world is so desperate to have. In fact, I did a Google search. How do you find peace? And if you do a Google search, you'll find numerous articles talking about ways to peace or steps to peace. Nine ways to peace. Eight things to do to have peace. Four simple steps. People are hungry for peace. But it's not found in a program. It's not found in steps. It's found in the person of Jesus Christ. Trusting in Him, the crucified and risen Lord, who makes us right with God. 
I came across a testimony by a young woman who shared her experience of growing up in a household and in a culture where it was very important for her to have the respect of her father. And she grew up under this pressure of trying to please her father, particularly through academics. Um, Academics was prized in her household. And so she worked very hard in high school to get the grades and hope that she would hear a word of encouragement or her father say that he was proud of her. It didn't come. She got into law school. She became a lawyer. And she still did not feel that her father respected her. And she didn't hear the words that she craved to hear from him. But then she heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And she heard that God demonstrated his love to her in this, that Christ died for her, even a sinner. And she said in this testimony, I'm now building my identity on Christ who proved his love for me on the cross. Now I have peace because my value is in Christ alone. And she said, what's more, I know that this is going to lead to an eternal peace that will last forever. Jesus gives a peace that the world cannot give. It's an objective peace. I'm right with God. That leads to a subjective peace, a sense that God loves me and cares for me. And then that peace flows out from us to others and begins to work its way out in our relationships. There can be reconciliation where there's been heartache and pain and unforgiveness. In fact, I don't have time to expand this, but if you look at the beginning of this chapter, Luke 19, the first story is about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, who was not at peace with his community because he was working for the collaborators. He was working for the Jewish authorities as a Jew and uh, took advantage of the poor and uh, defrauded people. But when he met Jesus... His life was changed. When he encountered the grace of God through Jesus Christ, then that changed him and he gave his money away to the poor. He said he would give half of his goods to the poor and he would restore what he's defrauded fourfold. You see, he encountered the peace of God, the grace of God, and that worked its way out in relationships, in the community. It brought wholeness in the community. That's the way of peace. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what I'm here to do. But many rejected. That way of peace. Let's not make that mistake, brothers and sisters. On this Palm Sunday, don't mess your time of visitation. Make sure that you're right with God through what God has offered to you in Jesus Christ and keep trusting in the peace that he has won for you through Jesus Christ. I don't want any of us to mess it. All of us to receive it. The peace of Christ. I want us to celebrate that this week as we get into Holy Week. Thank God for what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us the grace to have a heart of compassion even towards those who have turned from you. Give us the heart of Christ. Yes, to be bold, to speak the truth, to stand for righteousness, But underneath that boldness, a tender heart of compassion for those who are lost, those who are perishing. May that motivate us to share this good news of the peace that you have won for us at the cross and through your resurrection. I pray this in Jesus' name, for his sake and glory. Amen. Amen.